All right. Well, guys, this is the last week of our series in creation in which we've done like six weeks in just three chapters. So uh, with the culmination of everything, since day one of this series, I thought the very first week I would talk on rest. Uh, and I'd talk on Sabbath in particular, which is a very fancy religious term that refers uh, to rest and restoration. Uh, and so the first week, I was, and, oh, God took me somewhere else, so I did something else. And the second week, I was like, cool, I've done a lot of studying on rest, so I'll just go back and I'll, I'll copycat that. We can bring it over, copy and paste. And then got to something else, and I decided to talk about something else. So uh, this is the last week, and I've done over six weeks of studying this, and I've cut it down, I promise. We're only going to be here for like two hours. No, um, uh, But... It's something that is so near and dear to my heart. Uh, I, I don't know why, but a lot of times when you step into a church service uh, and you, you're singing and you're there for the sermon, uh, there's not an emphasis on restoration, uh, which there really should be. This is the space that you can use within your week to reset, to rethink, to pray, to, to be in meditation, to actually kind of center ourselves for what we do in the real world. So. When we come, that's why we talk about being a church that's arrows out. When we come together like this, this is our shot to do this uh, in a communal way, and that brings healing to our community, and thus we can go out and kind of help the larger community. Um, so with that being said, um, I'm super excited to talk about Sabbath and rest, and I hope that by the end of this, uh, you'll get a little bit different of a flavor than you normally would about what Sabbath means in our lives and how it's not just a day. Um, in fact, we're going to talk about it, but it could be a year, it could be every 49 years, it could be every moment. So um, what I want to do is just pray over this space, and I just want us to spend maybe like 20 seconds in silence. I know that's a hard thing to do, but we'll listen to the rain, uh, and we can just pray and kind of center ourselves with the idea of rest. So if we could just bow our heads. God, thank you for your creation. Thank you for the story that we have of your creation, which, which culminates um, in one-seventh of the entire story uh, of you taking a break, taking a rest, uh, in that we get to see one of the most human sides of you, uh, and you model that for us so beautifully. So, Lord, this morning as we, as we go through this, I pray you would help us understand how important that is. Amen. Uh, so my sister um, is... A, a powerhouse. She's about this tall. Um, she's two years younger than me, but when we were growing up, everyone would refer to her as the older sibling. So they'd be like, oh, she's the oldest, right? And I'd be like, no, I'm two years older than her. And when you're that young, that really matters. Um, <laughs> but she was always just very powerful, very bossy. And I hope she listens to this podcast. I'm just uh, Very bossy, very, very in your face, and she will get things done. So like, if you're in an airport scenario with my sister and something goes awry, like, I just look to her and I'm like, everything's going to be fine. She's going to rip them apart. So she's really, she's creative in her bossiness, uh, and that led her through a lot of different career paths. So right into college, um, we took vastly different trajectories, all three of our siblings. Uh, my brother went into acting, I went into music, and then Lindsay decided I'm going straight into the business, like corporate and, and political world. So her third year in college, she got the opportunity 
to, to work with Nancy Pelosi. So she moved uh, to DC and she worked for Nancy Pelosi for a while and rose through the ranks there. Uh, this all culminated over years. She worked on different campaigns. And now, like as we speak, she's literally like the third most powerful person in California and she's only like 28. It's crazy. So she's, it's a lot to live up to. Whenever I invite her to church, I'm like, so what do you think of this? Anyway. Um, <laughs> She, uh, she randomly, and this happens a lot, she called and she was like, hey, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm, I'm walking the dog. She was like, where are you walking the dog? And I was like, ah, like California 9th. She's like, cool, I'm on California Ocean. Walk towards me. And I was like, where are you coming from? She lives in Sacramento now. Uh, she had flown down for just a period of hours to do some fundraising. Uh, and she's like, one of my meetings dropped out. I've got an hour. Do you want to hang? And I was like, of course. So we walk. Uh, secretly, whenever my sister calls, I get like a knot in my stomach because I'm like, oh, fuck that. <laughs> but I walk, uh, and I find Lindsay there. Uh, she's birding towards me, uh, business attire. She's looking fierce. Um, and we go, and I was like, well, what do you want to do? And she's like, well, we could grab lunch somewhere. And I was like, cool. Uh, let's go to Art's Table, which is like really close to where Chelsea and I live. We love that place, and we can sit outside with the dog and everything. So we're walking over there, um, and it, this is new, I, and I've never seen it before, but she uh, had three phones on her, usually it was two. This is really impressive, it's been up to three. And she was kind of, every two seconds, we'd be talking, she'd be getting like really real with me, and then beep, 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 and you'd have to go back down to the phone, back down to the phone, back down to this phone, back down to that phone, and then we sat down, and it was like all three were laid out in front as if to say like, if any of these go off, you are no longer important. So there's, there's <laughs> these three phones there, and they're all going off, uh, and you know, she's, don't worry, I, I prepped to, she knows I'm telling the story. Um, I was like, Linz, like, are you, what's, what's going on? How is your move? She literally had moved uh, from San Francisco to Sacramento. Uh, they moved from a one-bedroom apartment to a three-bedroom home. Uh, and, and not only that, but her husband, my brother-in-law, Michael, um, had to keep his job in San Francisco for a while before he gets his lawyer job in Sacramento. And so they've been living, like, long distance, uh, and he was just coming up on the weekends. Uh, and I was just like, what, I mean, how are you balancing all this? And it's, she just kind of giggled. She's like, huh, balance. <laughs> What's that? Uh, and I was like, well, I mean, what are you doing to, to rest? What are you doing to keep? And she's like, I don't, I don't have a minute uh, where I'm not on call or, or need to be somewhere. And I'm, I'm so tired. I just, I really need a break. Um, and so we talked about what a break would look like in terms of you know, that kind of schedule and everything. And it gets really complicated. Um, and she's like, I, the problem is I feel like even if I take a break, it's just a break. And I'll just want to relax and I'll just want to watch TV or I'll just want to go to a beach or something like that. Uh, but I don't think I'd be refreshed in the amount of time that I could possibly take off. Uh, and that just got me thinking. And I didn't have an answer for her then. It wasn't like I could say something super profound into her life and solve her problems. But I left going like, that's not just Lindsay super, super woman powerful stuff. That's most of us in this room. Um, I've certainly felt like that, even the capacity which I'm working. Sometimes even just life stuff, it doesn't have to be career stuff, just feels like even if I was able to take a break, I don't know if I would actually be refreshed. Uh, rest is just short for restoration. Rest is this idea that you need to be restored, not just relaxed. That there should actually be something deeper going on than Margarita's poolside, right? There's got to be something else uh, that we're doing to restore our hearts and checking in with our hearts. Because here, if, if we're not checking in with our hearts on a regular basis, we are unable to lead from them. If we're not checking in on our hearts on a regular basis, we're unable to lead from them. That means something else is in control. 
And if you're a spiritual person, if you're a Jesus person, that means something else besides Christ is moving you along rather than checking in and understanding how we could possibly be restored or what we could do. Um, it turns out talking about rest is very dangerous to me. Every time I talk on rest, I get injured. This is really true. I, I, the first time I talked on rest, uh, I flipped over a Lime scooter and, and busted my shoulder. That was the first time I talked about Sabbath, and I came like super excited because I was like, I can use this. Like, <laughs> This forced me to rest. Can you believe it? And then this week, as I started my prep, uh, on Sunday night, I fell down and broke both of these teeth. You can't see it now, but it used to be just like all bloody. I got very lucky. It could have been much worse. Uh, but I was like, seriously, I'm never talking about Sabbath again. Like, this, <laughs> this is not happening. Um, but it forced me to slow down, right? And, and sometimes there are forces in our lives that force us to slow down, and sometimes we need to force ourselves to slow down. Chelsea and I, uh, about a year and a half ago, um, got to go on this really awesome uh, trip to, to Paris, uh, her parents um, uh, from her class, like some of her kindergarten parents had an apartment there, and so we were able to fly there, and the truth of this is I booked this trip without telling Chels for like a month, uh, because I watched Ratatouille and had a little too much wine, um, so then I had to come clean to her and say like, I'm so sorry, I did something drastic and we're going to Paris, uh, and oddly, she, she didn't take that badly, so we went to Paris, and we went in August, and I was so shocked at how affordable the flights were. I was like, this is great. And we flew Wow Air, so it's going to be, you know, it's, if you don't know what Wow Air is, it's like spirit air over an ocean. It's really rolling the dice on your entire life. We go over, we land in Iceland, and then we get to Paris, and, and we've both been there before, uh, but we had a whole checklist of things that we wanted to do. And mostly when Chelsea and I go on vacation, it centers around eating. So we just try and find, like, the, the restaurants that we want to go to, uh, and we had all of these awesome restaurants that we wanted to like go check out. Uh, and so the first night, you know, we kind of did the tourist thing during the day and we're walking around. And then the first night, we start uh, looking at our phones to find like the first restaurant on our list. Uh, and we get there, uh, and it's in one of the cooler neighborhoods. And, and we get there and we see a sign on the door that says, uh, we can't read French, but it's something along the lines of closed for August. And I was like, closed for August? This is like one of the, the hottest restaurants in town. How are they possibly closed for a month? So then we went to the second restaurant on the list, same thing. Third restaurant on the list, same thing. And then I began to realize, this is why the flights were so cheap. Because <laughs> everything, not just the restaurants, but some of the museums, some of the stuff. I mean, this whole, this whole city takes the month of August off for the most part. And they all go down to the south of France, where it's sunny, to enjoy August, which is like a peak month there. And to my American brain, that was crazy town. Like, how can you run a successful business and take a month off? Think about that and what you do right now. If you went up to your boss and you said, I'm going to take a month off. Why? Because it's August. They would say, you are fired. That doesn't work here. And yet, somehow, in this city, they take that month off, and they come back, and their work is still there. Remarkable. The French also, they've dialed this in really hard. They have a... Um, I'm not going to be able to pronounce this correctly, but a term called flaneur or flaneur, or I don't know. Uh, but basically what that is, is a word that we don't have in English, uh, and it, it, it means, literally, it means the art of the scroll. These people have created a word that literally means there is an art to going outside and simply taking a walk. You see, what's different in, in both of those contexts and our kind of American version of this, which is work hard the entire year and maybe get a week or two uh, to go, like, to take some time and be straight up away from work and all that kind of stuff. 
The reason that these are different is because these people understand they need practices in their lives, which are rituals, which are things that you can come back to every single year, and in some cases every day, to say, no, this is a practice that I do, a discipline that I have, that causes me to be restored, that causes me to be able to do better work because I'm taking this time to be restored for me. It's not just relaxation, sit on the couch, throw on a movie. It's, it's purposeful. I'm going outside. I'm going to literally take the stroll so seriously that I'm going to become an artist of it. It's taking a month and intentionally saving for that time of restoration and not just simply rest. And it prevents a massive amount of burnout. Guys, we live in the country, besides Japan, uh, with the highest rate of burnout, period. Uh, this is fascinating. 23% from a Gallup poll uh, of about 3,000 working professionals, full-time working professionals, uh, said that they are experiencing burnout currently. Now, that's in career. This is the one that really threw me for a loop. Uh, Deloitte poll cited over 4,000 working professionals said that 77% of them were burnt out in their life in general. Not just talking about their job, not just saying I need to find a new job, this one's not working out, my boss is crazy, but saying literally my life is crazy. I mean, I may need to find a new life. 77%. And I would argue if that number is that high to some of us in the room, myself included sometimes, that feels very, very real. And so if we believe in this Jesus stuff, if we literally, like, if we want to take this further, we have to sort of lean in to the practices that he put in place and that God put in place for us not to get to that point. Because, guys, anything overworked, anything overworked, including pie dough, if it is overworked, it falls apart. And that includes your heart. If you are overworked, you are headed for burnout, you're going to fall apart. And so the Christian life and the Christian way actually has practices, which is a word we don't talk about a lot in here. A lot of times we're just like, Jesus loves you. But this is actually, this is a discipline that if you lean into it, like literally like going to the gym, you can actually get better at this. The more we do it, the easier it's going to be to get to that restoration point and to get to that rest. This is true even in our, in our agriculture and our land. If farmland is overworked, it ceases to produce good things. It's all built into our narrative. There's a sweet spot where we have to work it to the point that it doesn't work anymore, and then we have to walk away. The, the trick here is prayerfully considering what that sweet spot is. Say, like, I can recognize right now that in my heart I'm not doing awesome, and I need to find a new rhythm and a new practice to put into place. And in the Hebrew tradition, this goes way back to the beginning. So in creation, in Genesis, there's this line. This is the first line of Genesis 2. It says, thus, the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work, the creating that he had done. Now, what's fascinating about this passage this is the first line in chapter 2. Uh, the last line in chapter 1, or the last little section there, uh, is the sixth day. And in the sixth day, that's when God creates all of us. So think about this. That's, that's Adam's orientation day. <laughs> so God creates Adam, and then the story goes, 
he shows him all the beasts in the land, all the plants and everything, and he says, here's what your work is going to be. I need you to name all of these and take care of all these. You're going to be a steward of everything in this garden, everything in this world, and so that's going to be your work. Now, imagine going to a job orientation, right? This is you've just gotten this job. Your boss is training you for an entire day, and then the very next day, he says, okay, day off. Right? What, what God is doing here is he's taking the same period of time that he showed Adam all the stuff that he's going to be doing, all of the work, all of the naming, all of the craziness. He shows him, he takes that chunk of time, that day, and then the very next day, Adam's full day, he says, and now we rest. And what that should show us is that rest actually takes just as much training in the biblical tradition as work does. God takes the same amount of time to teach us how to rest as he does to teach us how to work. And we have to learn to kind of lean into that and take that seriously. Day seven is our day two, which means that right from the beginning, God puts a priority on restoration, on, on, on being human, is to literally take it easy for one day a week. That's how you'll survive. That's how you move forward. And this doesn't have to be just a day. So in, in the biblical tradition, right, uh, Moses comes along and, and, and Pharaoh, uh, there's, this, there's this massive enslaved nation called Israel, and God senses that's, that this is not okay. And so he says, I've heard the cries of my people. And so he finds Moses, this man on the outside, and he says, hey, you're going to go back and you're going to free these people. So Moses goes, uh, reluctantly at first, and he goes back, and, and we all know that famous story, or if you just watch the Ten Commandments, it's let my people go, let my people go, plagues, 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 let my people go. And then when they get out of that enslaved period, uh, God takes them across a river, across a body of water, which is always a biblical theme for change, for transition, for newness. And he takes them across there, and he takes them into the wilderness, which is always a symbol of where you're going to learn to learn. And then he throws this at them. In the Ten Commandments, he says, one of your days is going to be set aside. Honor the Sabbath and make it holy. That's the longest commandment in the list. Honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. And the reason that he does that is because these, these people who were enslaved need to learn how to handle their work-life relationship without being enslaved again. To understand that that day to set aside keeps us from being enslaved and actually lets us know we're free. Let's us know we're free. That period of restoration lets us know we're absolutely loved and free. I think what's super interesting about that story that I don't hear a lot of people talk about uh, is the fact that we just call Pharaoh Pharaoh. Moses has a name. Uh, Aaron has a name. All the other kind of characters in that universe have a name. But Pharaoh is just Pharaoh. He's just a title. And I think what we can do with that is the fact that Pharaoh remains unnamed because even today, we need to name our pharaoh. We need to say, that is a pharaoh. That is enslaving me, and let my people go. Let me go. Let me go and live in this better version of your world. And this goes even further. So it's not just a day, and it's not just like this, this very highly regimented thing, which is what it became, which we're going to talk about in a second, how Jesus kind of tore down. But it can be in any moment if we can really begin to practice this. Uh, just the other day, last week, um, 
uh, we found out that, our, and they've put this on Instagram so I can share this, but, uh, but our really, really close friends, Stephen and Tess, are moving to San Francisco. Um, it made me just want to burn the city of San Francisco to the ground. But uh, they're moving, and, uh, and so they invited us out to this wonderful day where we just got to hang out like all Saturday, uh, and we got to go to this kind of this winery in L.A., um, which sounds like it's going to be terrible, but it's actually quite lovely. Uh, but we, we went to like lunch, then we, we went to this winery thing, and I had a moment where I'm sitting with these close friends, and then we had other close friends, Jenica and David were across the table, uh, and they're pouring wine, and, and the sun is like coming through this big like rafter door, kind of like what we have here, uh, and everything just kind of slows down, and I just kind of, oh, it actually, it, it looked like this. We made our TV, Spectrum Cable was actually filming it, um, and they, they filmed it. I'll have you know that, uh, <laughs> Stephen and I got cut out of this, uh, mostly because we're both bald. But they all made their TV duty on Spectrum News, uh, and people began actually this week texting us like, what, what are you guys doing on Spectrum News? And I was like, I didn't know y'all watch Spectrum News. <laughs> um, but uh, it, it's just this beautiful, gorgeous moment, and, and they're pouring the wine, and I see the light just stream in, and, and in, my, in my heart, I just felt the need to just say, thank you, God. Thank you for this moment, as, as fleeting as it is. May I be like present here in this moment. Thank you for the people that are in my life and what's going on right now. And what I realized is just even that tiny little moment, that felt restorative. That didn't just feel like relaxation. That didn't just feel like hanging. It felt restorative. But we can't really get there unless we practice and we actually put the stuff into place. And Jesus understood this in a big way. So what happened over the years uh, is we went from Sabbath as a day, and then in the Pharisee tradition, in the high priest tradition, in the temple tradition, Sabbath became this thing that because it was one of the commandments, they got really, really intense on. So what it was called, it was called fencing in Torah, and I've talked about this before, but basically they would take the root law, and then they would create tons of other laws, like fences around that law, so that it would be almost impossible to get through the fence to break the main offense. So if you can't dig on the Sabbath, then it was also illegal to pick up a shovel on the Sabbath. The idea was like, you can't go near anything that would possibly tempt you into doing work on this day. Uh, and so it got so regimented that the high priest system and the temple system got to be like so ludicrous that people could not atone for their sins or actually engage with Sabbath because there were too many hoops to jump through and they, they actually didn't have enough money to do it. So in a lot of ways, the temple system, you would have to buy a sacrifice. And so these people that were kind of an indentured servitude to the Roman government and to Herod and to all the powers that be, if there was a week that went by that they couldn't afford their sacrifice, think about that. They couldn't afford their sacrifice. They would live unclean unclean, which means you can't participate in meals with your family. You can't participate. You'd be like kind of excommunicated until you could go in there and atone again. And so Jesus sees this whole system. He's like, no, this is so broken. And so he takes this beautiful idea that's also in the Bible. This is insane. So if you think, and there is a tendency here, and I want to be really careful to name this. Um, when I talk about taking a Sabbath day, when I talk about actually being and able to take like a week off or something, I recognize that there's a deep amount of privilege in that. Not everyone can do that. Uh, and Jesus recognized that too, and, and God recognized that before him, but Jesus pulled back and said, wait, we're forgetting this part. And here's what's scary. This, there's this thing in Leviticus 
uh, which is one of those books where they just fence, 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 fence. Uh, but there's a beautiful part in Leviticus. It doesn't happen until chapter 25 or 28, so you have to go all through these laws until you get to this gold stuff. But this is amazing. There's this thing called jubilee. If you've ever heard of jubilee, it's usually like, it's a jubilee, it's jubilation. Uh, but jubilee was an actual practice that was supposed to be intertwined with Sabbath, designed so that the very wealthy people would support the poor people so that they could engage with Sabbath as well, so that they wouldn't have to be fenced out, so that they could actually have a way in. It's mentioned over 21 times in Scripture, and this is what's so weird. In my American brain, it makes me nervous to talk about this because it's not a subject we are really stoked on, right? The very rich supplying the very poor with the availability to actually engage in, in freedom. That's something that's, that's really tense in our country right now. But I have to be honest with you, as a good Christian, it's in the Bible 21 times. And basically what it meant is that every seventh year, uh, you would have this debt system, right? So if someone had to go into debt, they would have to sell their land. And so they'd sell their land, and that was a big deal, because your land was your identity. That was who you were. This is my family's land. This is my family. And so you, you'd have to sell it if your crops didn't come in that year, blah, 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 cow dies, whatever ancient problems they're having. You have to sell your land, and then you would go into debt with someone else, someone a little bit more wealthy than you that was able to purchase that land. And then if you kept getting into debt, you would eventually have to sell yourself into indentured servitude and then maybe even slavery. And the even darker part about this is parents would have to sell their kids into this system before they could sell themselves because they realized they're not going to be able to do it on their own. I have to get us out of debt. That's just how the ancient world worked. It was matter of fact. But God comes in and says, we need a system in place that can break that because for this nation, Israel, that I'm focused on right now, for this nation, they have been enslaved before, and my whole goal for them is that they never become slaves again, that they should know that they're loved and that they're free. And so he puts this system in place that every seven years, debts had to be forgiven. So if you were indentured servitude, slaves were let go and debts were forgiven. And then every seven times seven, every 49th year, all debts, including land, was given back to their original owner. So the, the person that would buy up all this land on the 49th year would have to go, okay, so here's all of your land back. It's a giant reset button on the entire wealth system. And what's really fascinating about this is when I tried to study this, there's, I mean, it's, it's few and far between in terms of like resources for it because people kind of don't want to talk about it. But I found that Western theologians were convinced that this thing wasn't real, and Eastern theologians were convinced that it was absolutely real. So what does that say about our minds? I can't confidently, because in studying it, can't tell you that this was a literal thing that happened, but I can tell you that just like the Genesis story that might not have been a literal day-by-day -day thing that happened, it's still a beautiful thing to consider. It's still gorgeous because it's in there, and it sets up a system where we are actually called as Christians to, to help the people in the community that can't experience rest. We need to be the people that step up and help them experience that rest so that they can be restored and that they can live their lives. And so Jesus knew this system. And so when he gets to the Pharisees, he gets to this point where he goes, we have to stop breaking the Sabbath. We have to start picking the Sabbath thing apart and get back to the heart of the Jubilee thing. And so what he does is he stages some like kind of guerrilla warfare theater 
which is what Jesus is best at, <laughs> uh, and he goes into the fields. So this is, uh, this is our passage this morning. Okay, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as disciples walked along, they began to pick some of the heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? So one of the things you were not allowed to do on the Sabbath was to reap, was to actually pick grain, because that meant, what would you do? You would bake bread. And if you baked bread, you would create something. Anything that was creative was illegal on the Sabbath. So Jesus is taking them out here on the Sabbath and likely saying, go ahead and do this. These aren't the disciples just roguely picking. Um, next slide there, sorry. And then he answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is unlawful for the priest to eat, and he also gave some to his companions. So what he's saying would be deeply insulting to these Pharisees who studied these texts, and that was their entire life. He'd be like, have you never read this? It, just picture that in any of your field of business. Uh, then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So what he's doing here is he's declaring that what, what, what they were doing was called gleaning, not reaping. Gleaning was this process that was only meant for those who were on a system of welfare. You would leave behind a portion of the grain so that the poor people could come in and actually eat, so they could take whatever was left there. And so he's doing this exact thing, but they're not the ones that are in need. He's sending a message to the Pharisees to say, look, when Sabbath gets in the way of us helping people who are hungry, of people who are hungry coming in here and trying to get food, then it no longer is working. And we need to get closer to that jubilee idea of Sabbath, in which Sabbath is restoration not just for the personal self, but for the entire community. Sabbath is well-being for everyone involved, not just you. It's not just so you can do professionally better and you take a day off and you come back and you rock that day at work. No, it's, it's for the betterment of the entire community. And so what I want to do for us as we move into our next series, I want us to focus on what the betterment of the entire community looks like. And we're going to do that through a very interesting way. We're going to do that through a series called Conversations. So this is a very loud slide. Um, but here's Conversations. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk through the idea of prayer. And we're going to dissect uh, what, what prayer looks like in Scripture, how Jesus prayed, and how we communicate. Because in all honesty, we take this thing, prayer, a little too scarily and a little too seriously. I want us to be able to talk about prayer conversationally uh, and work through this, not just with me just speaking and spouting at you, but with, with all of us kind of giving our input and, and working together to figure out this thing on prayer. So we'll talk about uh, one of the series is going to be Christianese. Uh, which that'll probably be next week in which I'll talk about the scary Christian words that we use and where they come from and why we can take them back. Uh, and then the next one, and this one's the, the fun one that's kind of just the shock jock value one, I'm going to do a whole Sunday on why you should not come to church. That'll, yeah, kill me. Anyway, uh, we're going to do that. Uh, and in, in the context of this, I'm not just going to be doing this alone. Um, we're going to be moving, and this is a big church move for all of us, uh, we're going to be moving to a three-service model. Now, before you think that we need volunteers for three services that look exactly like this, it's a different kind of service. So what we're going to do uh, is we're going to shorten this time together, one less worship song, about five minutes less of me talking, uh, and we're going to use that time as a second service. And the second service, 
uh, is going to take place out there around a big, long table, and we're going to have breakfast together every Sunday morning. Um, that means that's free food for whoever you would like to invite as well. Uh, and wh- how we're going to do that as a small church that doesn't have that much of a budget is I bought two big pancake griddles on Amazon that are about this big each. <laughs> and so we are going to create a pancake team. <laughs> no lie. So if you'd like to be on the pancake team, please let me know. But we are going to be flipping pancakes during this time. There'll be a team out there flipping pancakes, and we'll have a pancake breakfast every Sunday morning until we get super tired of pancakes and we'll figure something else out. But for now, <laughs> it will be two giant pancakes. So that'll be our second service. And what we'll do in there is we'll have intentional conversation around a big table. So for the introverts in the room, they're like, oh, you don't have to participate. It's just there'll be prompts on the table where we can talk through what we've talked about on the Sunday morning. And then our third service, which is still largely in development, uh, we're going to do something. We have three small groups meeting right now, and I'm so stoked that that's going so well. Uh, what I want to do for those of us who don't even know what a small group is, who, who that sounds very intimidating, let's take it one step larger, and instead of doing a small group, we could do a smaller group, (laughs) which would be us all coming together church-wide at a home for those that can attend, where we will have a dinner and we'll do a small group that'll be a one-off every month, uh, in which you can kind of see what a small group looks like, so it's not intimidating, and you can see that, you know, this might be helpful for you or might not be helpful for you. Uh, But those are going to be the three services that we're doing, and all of that's going to be based around conversations and learning from each other. And the other exciting thing that we're going to do is every uh, other week during this series, I'm going to have someone either filmed or come up here uh, to share their story, um, share their, 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 their life story in, in a brief five minutes. So if that sounds intimidating to you, you might be getting a phone call this week. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but I will be calling a couple folks to just see if they want to do that. But we'll be hearing stories. So even if you're coming into this space and you don't know anyone and you're super intimidated to talk to people after, at least you'll come away with one story from one person. And at least that might help as you're going to the table over there. That might help. Like, I, I know this person's story. I feel safer on this person. I can sit on this side of the table and even just pull my phone out if I need to. Right. So that's going to be our new series, and I'm really, really excited about what we're going to do. Here's what I want to ask you all to do. Next week is February 10th. Uh, We won't start that week, um, because I know already a number of our key leaders are out of town. We're going to start the following week, February 17th. And what I would like you to do, and I want to empower you to do this, all of this is designed for stickiness so that people can come in here, because we have new faces all the time that come in, and then it's intimidating when you're in kind of this size of a room to really kind of connect, and, and people have already formed like close relationships and stuff. So what I want to do is invite you to please invite your friends, your family, strangers, whoever you want. But the whole point of this is we want to be an open door to the community in a way that I haven't really seen it done much in church before. So I'm going to push you a little bit. February 17th invite some folks into this, because I think this is going to be an exciting thing for our entire community. All right, let me pray. God, um, I just thank you for uh, the time that we've been able to share this morning and, and for your, your idea of rest. Uh, and as we finish up on creation, God, I'm, just, I'm thankful that in your story, in the scripture, the, the creation just keeps going. After you rest, there's, there's so much more to the story, and we are a part of that grand story and tradition, so I thank you. Amen.